You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. We continue to hear the Word of God this afternoon. The Gospel according to Luke, the chapters 10 and 11. We begin our reading then in Luke chapter 10, first 24 verses. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, The kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, They would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. You, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The seventy-two returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father. And no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he returned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Continue our reading at chapter 11, verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, and then follows the prayer which our Savior taught us, which we just prayed. 
Then he said to them, suppose, we'll turn now to verse 14, go down to verse 14. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. Now if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up the spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. And this is the word that is preached to you. Before we turn to our confession in Lord's Day 48, let's consider our confession in the Canons of Dort three places. First, under the first head of doctrine, Article 3, here we confess under the heading the preaching of the gospel, so that men may be brought to faith, God mercifully sends heralds of this most joyful message to whom He will and when He wills. By their ministry, men are called to repentance and to faith in Christ crucified. For how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without a preacher? And how can men preach unless they are sent? And also, the second head of doctrine, Article 5, under the heading, The Universal Proclamation of the Gospel. The promise of the Gospel is that whoever believes in Christ crucified shall not perish but have eternal life. This promise ought to be announced and proclaimed universally and without discrimination to all peoples and to all men to whom God in His good pleasure sends the gospel together with the command to repent and believe. Finally, under heads 3 and 4, Article 8. Under the heading, The Earnest Call by the Gospel, we confess, but as many as are called by the gospel are earnestly called, for God earnestly and most sincerely reveals in His Word what is pleasing to Him, Namely, that those who are called should come to Him. He also earnestly promises rest for their souls 
and eternal life to all who come to Him and believe. Now we turn to our confession in Lord's Day 48. What is the second petition? Thy kingdom come. That is, so rule us by Thy Word and Spirit that more and more we submit to Thee. Preserve and increase Thy church. Destroy the works of the devil, every power that raises itself against Thee and every conspiracy against Thy holy Word. Do all this until the fullness of Thy kingdom comes wherein Thou shalt be all in all. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, When Jesus came to earth, He came alongside us. By entering this world in human flesh, He entered our sin and misery. He was God with us in every sense except sin. And He is the one who teaches us to pray. He is the one to whom we say with the disciples, teach us to pray. Now we should bear in mind that when Jesus taught the disciples to pray for the second time, as we read it in Luke 11, He was on a journey. He was on His way up to Jerusalem where He would suffer and die. And He made that journey in complete reliance on His Father. That's why He conversed with His Father so often, day and night. At those times of prayer, Jesus asked His Father for everything that He needed to make His journey to the cross and beyond. The Lord Jesus teaches us this prayer then as one who is familiar with our needs, as the high priest who is able to sympathize with us in every respect. As we seek God's kingdom, He's aware that there's a battle to fight on numerous fronts. He knows that the the battle we have to rage is firstly within our own hearts. He knows how fierce the battle is, secondly, within the church. And he is aware, thirdly, of the opposition that we face from the world. As he knows about these battles, because he himself entered the war with us. Let's listen then, as the one who came alongside us teaches us how to pray so that Daily, we can have the victory on all three battle fronts. You see, first then, how the second petition teaches us to pray concerning ourselves. We've spoken about the journey that Jesus was on when He taught us to pray. What was His destination? Well, His destination was the cross. And there at the cross, our Lord Jesus Christ would wage the fiercest battle ever fought to victory. He would fight that battle in order to rescue us from the dominion of darkness and to bring us into His glorious kingdom. In the passages that we read from Luke, 
We can almost smell the smoke of the battle that was in the air when Jesus taught the disciples to pray. We can picture those those great clashes between Jesus and His disciples on the one side and Satan and his demons on the other. And we know, of course, that Jesus won the war on the cross. And He has the victory. But we also know from our own experience that the battles are still raging. The swords are still rattling. The guns are still going off. Wounds are still being incurred and people are still falling in a bloody mess. That's why we're praying concerning ourselves when we pray, Your kingdom come. Listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the Spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Now even though Jesus has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness, we know how much our hearts are still in that kingdom. Let's do a little bit of honest self-evaluation. How much are our hearts still in that old country? We're often just like the Israelites, aren't we? When, When they were delivered from slavery in Egypt... Remember how after God rescued them, they sometimes still longed for Egypt. Especially when things got rough for them in the wilderness. We're like that sometimes, aren't we? We've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness, but we still have a lot of ingrained affection for the kingdom of the evil one. Especially when we become battle-weary or spiritually drained sidetracked. Listen to how the Westminster Larger Catechism puts it. In the second petition, which is Thy kingdom come, acknowledging ourselves and all mankind to be by nature under the dominion of sin and Satan, we pray that the kingdom of sin and Satan may be destroyed. Satan knows this about us. He knows it very, very well. He knows our ingrained affection for His kingdom. And so He works hard on us. To use the words of John Calvin, Satan is aware of the desires of our flesh which by squadrons war against God. And he invites these squads to join the fray against the kingdom of God. And so that's why when we pray for God's kingdom to come, we need to begin with ourselves, with the man, the woman, the child in the mirror. So rule us by Thy Word and Spirit that more and more we submit to Thee so rule me by Your Word and Spirit that more and more I submit to You, Lord Jesus. 
Remember what Jesus said once when the Pharisees asked Him when the kingdom of God would come. Everyone wanted to know. The Israelites were waiting for the kingdom and so they they asked Jesus, well, when is the kingdom going to come? Remember what He answered them? Instead of giving them the, the kind of answer they expected, which He rarely did, actually, He forced them to think about themselves. He said, the kingdom of God does not come with with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. The coming of God's kingdom has implications, in other words, for you and for me personally. We are kingdom territory. We we are not just in kingdom territory or entering kingdom territory. We are kingdom territory. You cannot long for God's kingdom to come without longing for the Lord Jesus to have dominion and Christ to have the supremacy in your heart and in every area every square inch of your life. Let me ask you a very personal question. Is that what you long for? Is that what you pray for? Yes, it's good to pray for for the well-being of the church, as we will shortly see. And it's important to pray for the works of the evil one to be destroyed. But do we remember to pray for deliverance from the squadrons of our own desires which war against God? Do we remember the battle that is being fought on the turf of our own hearts? Do we pray for strength to abstain from the sinful desires which war relentlessly against our souls, as Peter says? When we ask Christ to wield His power and authority in this world, do we pray that we ourselves would set apart Christ as Lord in our own hearts? If not, if we ignore the battlefield, the soil that is our own souls, then Satan will win the victory by ambush. That's why we need to pray. Father, Your kingdom come. In me, In me. If Jesus teaches us to pray concerning ourselves that God's kingdom would come, He also teaches us to pray for His church. Preserve and increase your church. We pray that that the church will be preserved from false teaching and from error through the faithful preaching of the Gospel, the administration of the sacraments, and the application of church discipline. That means that we need to pray for our ministers and elders and deacons, that they will be true shepherds and faithful overseers. 
And that also means that as office bearers, we need to be in constant prayer for the flocks in our charge. Perhaps that sounds so trite and commonplace, so so basic. But let's take a moment and, and ask ourselves how often we actually do that. Brother, sister, child, how faithfully do you pray for your pastors and elders and deacons? Both as individuals and in their families. They need your prayers. And the same question applies to us as office bearers, of course. Are we praying constantly for the souls in our care? How regularly do we name before the Lord the families and persons, the, the children, the young people, and the middle-aged and the elderly in our wards? Do we even know all their names? A good way to learn them might be to start naming them before the Father's throne to pull out your binders with their names and pray their names before the Father's throne. How often do we lay before the Lord the particular needs of each particular member and family? Man, woman, and child. No, brothers and sisters, this need for prayer can be found throughout the Scriptures if you doubt me. How often didn't the, the apostles tell the churches things like, we constantly pray for you. And how often didn't the, the apostles entreat the churches, pray for us. Yes, these things that I mention are so basic, but so is the prayer that Jesus taught us. And how we need to return to these basics of the Gospel which we forget time and again. But we pray not only for the church and its preservation, we also, we also pray for the church's increase as we confess. Remember what we also confess in Lord's Day 21 of the Catechism. Christ gathers, defends, and preserves the church for Himself. That needs to be our confession, but that also needs to be our prayer as Jesus teaches us here. Sometimes people will say, well, numbers don't matter so much. Why pray for the increase of the church? It's fine the way it is. Well, let's be clear that we are being wiser than God when we say that numbers don't matter. Now, it is true that numbers aren't the only thing that matter, but that doesn't mean that they don't matter at all. If numbers didn't matter, why did the Holy Spirit reveal to us on the day of Pentecost, that on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were added to the church? Acts 2, verse 41. 
Should it not fill us with deep concern and sadness that such huge numbers, millions, are perishing eternally because they do not know the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Gospel of life? If the increase of the church doesn't really matter, then why did our spiritual fathers at Dort 400 years ago stayed in Article 5 of chapter 2 of the Canons of Dort, our confession, that the promise of the Gospel ought to be announced and proclaimed universally and without discrimination to all people and to all men and women and children. More to the point, when we say that numbers don't matter at all, are we not being more pious than Jesus, who when He saw the crowds had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? Is that how we feel when we see lost people? And when Jesus said, come to Me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest, would we say that numbers don't matter in response to Jesus' command to go and make disciples of all nations? If numbers don't matter, then why are we doing mission overseas? Would we excoriate the Apostle Paul for his heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites that they would be saved? Romans 10. And would we not pray like the Apostles that the message of the Lord would spread rapidly and be honored? Let us by all means avoid adopting means of mission and evangelism based on the premise that numbers are the only thing that count. Let's also remember that it is not we who add to the number of the elect. God is the one who brings that about. But let's also remember the importance of praying for the growth and increase of the church. Jesus teaches us we should. For it is His desire and it is the desire of His Father that all people should be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And we must make His desire our desire. So we pray. Those three words. Daily. Again and again. Your kingdom come. Preserve and increase your church. If Jesus teaches us to pray concerning ourselves and the church, He also teaches us to pray concerning the world. We've already spoken about Satan's attempt to draw us back into His dark dominion, into His underworld. The world is His dominion. It's what the Scriptures teach. The world is Satan's dominion. The world is Satan's underworld. Don't forget that about the world, hey? 
Several times during his ministry, Jesus called Satan the prince of this world. And so Jesus teaches us to pray for the destruction of the evil one and for him to be cast down. In fact, that's the reason that Jesus came to earth to to drive Satan out of this world. For the world isn't his by right. It's Christ's by right. Satan does not have squatting rights. You remember how Satan tried to tempt Jesus by promising Him all the kingdoms of the world. All you have to do, Jesus, is bow down and worship Me, Satan said. But Jesus refused. For in the first place, He would bow down and worship God alone. And furthermore, the kingdoms of the world and their splendor were not Satan's to give in the first place. God would give Jesus all authority on heaven and earth. Christ would have to drive Satan out. And that was the reason that Jesus was on His way to Jerusalem when He taught the disciples to pray. He was headed there to drive Satan out for good. He was headed there to make it possible for us to pray, Your kingdom come. And so every step of the way, but especially as He approached the last hours of His suffering, He cried out to His Father for help. Especially in those last days and hours, His prayers intensified before the Father. His prayers were so intense, in fact, that He sweat drops of blood. And He invites us to join in that prayer as we too make our way into His kingdom. He invites us too to continually pray and more intensely so as the attacks of the evil one intensify for the, for the devil to be driven out, for every conspiracy and power that allies with Satan to be vanquished. But Jesus doesn't merely invite us to join in His petition. He has already secured the answer to this petition. He made that clear to the disciples not long before He taught this prayer. Like we read in Luke 10, the 72, whom Jesus sent out, returned to Jesus with joy and and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in Your name. Even the demons. And then, and then Jesus responds by telling them that Satan himself was submitting to them. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Jesus told his amazed disciples, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Never mind the demons. 
I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and, and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you, Jesus said to them. You know, brothers and sisters, Jesus has promised and secured that same victory for you and for me. By the solitary finger of God, as we read in Luke 11, Jesus drives the demons away from us. As with His little finger, Jesus sends Satan packing whenever He assaults us, whenever we pray that simple prayer, Your kingdom come. Remember Jesus' promise? Resist the devil and he will flee from you? It's all we have to do, brothers and sisters. When we feel the devil attacking us, when we feel the assaults of of Satan and his demons, all we have to do is say, Your kingdom come, Lord. Satan is out of there. With his finger, he sends scurrying the squadrons of of our own evil desires that are on the ready all the time. Yes, he's also secured the answer to our prayers for the church. He reminds us in Matthew 16, just like he told Peter and the others, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. He has told us, My sheep listen to My voice. I know them and they follow Me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of My hand. That is Jesus' answer to this petition. So we can pray for the preservation and growth of the church with a liberating and enthusiastic optimism and hope with the certainty that He will answer us. He has answered us. He is answering us. He will answer us. When we pray that the, that the devil and every power and every conspiracy against Him be destroyed, He reminds us the prince of the world has been driven out All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me, Jesus says. So, brothers and sisters, men, women, children, keep praying. Keep praying. Father, Your kingdom come. Christ invites you and me, His little brothers and sisters, to His side, as we daily enter the heat of the battle and asks us to daily pray with Him, Your kingdom come. He tells us to. And as He does that, He assures us, yes, it is done. It will be done. The war has been won. God's kingdom is coming then you must believe Him. You must trust that what He says is true. You must join your Amen, so shall it be, to His. 
You're right. It's so basic. So basic. Yet so profound. It's the good news for you and me and all. But you must believe it. It's a simple prayer, but you must pray it daily, constantly, until the fullness of God's kingdom comes, wherein He shall be all in all, everything to everyone. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.